but you almost didn't put Dolly in the song, right? Did you almost do another female yeah, artist that you love? Yeah, who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> I have my ways. I have my ways. Oh, man. Were you in London? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so we almost put Shania, um, mostly because... Dolly Parton and God bless both of those women. I love those women. They have inspired me to my core. The intersection of good drinks, good music, and good times. This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I know it may be over by the time you listen to this, but I hope you had a great weekend. Hope you got to hit the pool. Maybe you got to spend some time with family, friends, and just have a good time. Or maybe it was just a relaxing time, uh, no matter how, how it went. I hope it was well. Got a great episode for you this week for our conversation. It's country artist Madeline Edwards. She'll be at Real Bird this weekend in Lexington. Hopefully you can get out to see her. Up next, though, our grilling series continues with Allison Settle and some new ideas for the grill. Enjoy. Did you know Hops and Spirits is more than just this podcast? Check out hopspirits.com for our latest episode release, past episodes, interviews with interesting folks in the alcohol industry, and so much more. Just go to hopspirits.com. Feel free to wait until this podcast is done. Back again here on Tasty Notes, fresh off of, uh, I think, a night at Feast in Lexington. She's got an exciting week ahead of her here uh, when this episode drops because she'll be on Beat Bobby Flay this Thursday. Welcome back, Allison Settle. Hey, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. And I forgot all the other fun things you do. You're a 2022 James Beard Best Chef semifinalist, Sullivan University brand influencer, and you can also find her pop-up events assemblage around Greater Louisville. So you got a few things going on, right? Just a few. I'm just kind of dabbling, kind of seeing. <laughs> yeah. When it rains, it pours, brother. I just take every opportunity I can get. Well, and, and we appreciate your opportunity to, to teach us a few things as well. And and I'm excited because we've been doing this kind of grilling series. And I'm wondering if you've got any new ideas because we've talked about craft beer and grilling, which I think goes hand in hand. Even cocktails and grilling, you can make that go hand in hand. But what about just some new ideas for us that have maybe done it all <laughs> or think we've done it all? Well, if you have done it all, then I may not be able to offer much. But I have a couple of things that I'm particularly passionate about that I would love to share. So my fascination, and I'm not sure I've shared this on the podcast before, but my current fascination actually has been for a couple of years is Korean food. Mm. Like it's, I've really zeroed in on that as being probably the most like me, like Asian food that, that I'm aware of so far that I've tried. Obviously I've never been, and I live in America and I can only do so much, but lots of research, lots of, um, shopping and recipe hunting and um, creating dishes in, in my own home as best as that as I know how. So for me, um, this is something that I do multiple times during the summer. I don't have a gas grill. I don't really like gas grills, to be honest. I think they're very, they're super convenient, obviously. But uh, for me, I just have like an old Webster, it's not old, but like the classic like Webster charcoal grill. Like there's nothing to it. There's no a little red top. Pull it off. Mm -hmm. Pull it off. Um, mine's a little fancier. It's like it's got the temperature reader and all of mm. that. Um, but yeah, I just get like real hardwood lump charcoal. I started in the chimney, you know, the charcoal chimney, dump it into my grill. And then um, for people that are in the Louisville area, I always go to either Red Hog. I, I prefer to go to Red Hog for my meats. I'm always going to get for this occasion for a Korean barbecue summertime grilling experience. I'm always going to get pork belly and I'm probably going to try to get uh, like a dry aged ribeye or something like that. So basically like the fattiest or, um, or just honestly your favorite cuts of meat. And then uh, again, if you're in the Louisville area or if you're not go to your local Asian market um, bonus, if it's more Korean based, um, a lot of those stores will have house-made banchan, so Korean side dishes. They'll have the typical accompaniments like lettuce wraps or perilla leaves. Um, and you can marinate these things in, in gochujang, which is the fermented uh, chili paste, or donjang, which is the fermented soybean paste. And this, 
honestly, the possibilities are endless. And if you're ever interested in learning more about any type of cuisine, honestly, like YouTube is the best resource. I cannot tell you how many hours I've spent. Just so it was this. for actual research when you were on YouTube. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's probably a problem and I probably should get rid of YouTube at this point. Um, but it honestly is like very current. Like I'm watching videos that were created by, you know, Korean chefs in Korea, you know, two days ago. And I get those experiences and, and get to understand like the reasoning and the culturing behind it and all of that. So go to your local Asian market, ask them, don't be scared. Like they probably are excited to want to teach people about their food or, you know, um, or, or would just be able to direct you to things that are typical for Korean barbecue at the very least. Um, get your favorite cuts of meat, um, watch a couple of YouTube videos and then start your charcoal grill and do these light sears on slices of meat. And then you put it in a piece of lettuce with maybe some rice and, uh, some, you know, pickled onions or kimchi or anything of the sort that you like. Um, samjang is a typical dipping paste, which is sort of a mix of gochujang and donjang. And then you can also do, um, really typical, really, really basic is sesame oil with salt and pepper in it. And you mm -hmm. just, you don't even season the meat before you put it on the grill. You don't have to, you just grill it so that it's juicy and cooked through, not totally rendered out, not dry. You want it to just be cooked through and dip it in that sesame oil. And it's just like the best piece of meat you've ever had. Like it really defies logic. It's worth more than the sum of its parts. Um, and Japanese culture has a similar, um, a similar style grilling technique. They use different flavors and it's more, you know, miso, soy sauce based, um, you know, in Japan, they're going to use a lot of, uh, you know, a five Wagyu, whereas in the true, in South Korea, you're going to use Hanwu beef, which is something that is not exported. So that's something that we'll have to wait until I can go to Korea to experience fully, but, um, really invest in the quality of your meat. Um, don't just go to Kroger and pick up that like quarter inch slab of whatever ribeye, like invest in a, you know, a local butcher shop, wherever you are, go or go somewhere else that has reputable meats like Whole Foods or, um, or if you don't have Whole Foods, um, sometimes you can call in to places like Kroger or JC or anything like that and ask for specific cuts ahead of time and they can do that for you. So you can really experience a really tip top, um, fine dining experience in the comfort of your own home with a charcoal grill and a grocery store trip. That, that it, it's just that simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like a typical accompaniment with these things is going to be like soju, um, or sake, which are, which are both, uh, forms of rice wine. Um, Nami, the Korean steakhouse, Edward Lee's restaurant just opened up here in Louisville. And I was really excited to see that they actually carry makgoli, which is a, a lower ABV, um, sort of unfiltered, but still fermented rice drink. Um, and it's like almost opaque, milky white and sweet. Um, it has like this really delicate coating, comforting mouthfeel. Um, so if you can go to total wine or anything like that and pick up some of those things, you can look into, you know, sake, like Japanese, um, beer and sake culture or Korean sochu and beer culture, which is, um, very social and very about eating and going to multiple places and trying different things. Like, I, I feel like here in the States, sometimes we get locked into this, like we're drinking here and food is secondary. Whereas there it's like us being together is primary and then food is secondary. And then we're also just having a blast and drinking together. So, um, yeah, just try and like pair your foods more intentionally with, um, whatever is most culturally significant liquor and, um, spirit and wine and beer wise, I think. Like really try something new. There's like a wealth like of knowledge it. out there. I was going to say, it sounds so simple, something that most can do. And if you live in a decent sized city, I think you can find an Asian market. I know here in Lexington where I live, there's a couple, um, obviously Louisville, a little bit bigger city. There's a, a few more options there, but look around. You never know what you might find. And uh, like, like Allison said, give it a try because that sounds really, really good.
Oh, and it's such a choose your own adventure experience. Like it's perfect for eating outside and just filling a table full of side dishes and dips and everybody, like regardless of how, you know, adventurous or unadventurous they are, like some people might just literally dip a piece of meat in salt and eat it. And that is totally fine. Or somebody might create this pickled onion, samjang, sesame oil, uh, kimchi, seasoned squid, seasoned dry squid, radish, perilla lettuce wrap. Like you can go absolutely bonkers with it. And so it's really people pleasing for a crowd. And if you have vegetarians or vegans, um, really common to grill vegetables and, and mushrooms and um, just plain like Napa cabbage and stuff like that too. So it's totally um, <coughs> everybody. I love that. And it sounds absolutely delicious. And, and Allison, I appreciate the uh, new idea because I don't think I ever thought of that. And, and I love that. Yeah. Tell me when you try it. I bet you're going to love it. Check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here for our conversation, she's a country artist, songwriter. Her debut album, Crash Landed, dropped in the fall, and she's out supporting it now. Let's welcome in Madeline Edwards. What's up, Jonathan? How are you? I am good. I am good. It's always good when I get to talk to someone that's already made me laugh and smile before <laughs> I even hit the record button. So I think we're going to have It's fun. because you have me drinking at noon, so that's, you know, I owe it to that also, so... <laughs> Well, there we go. It's fun to have conversations, and, and we'll get into where you're from and, and some of your roots. I know part of them are in California, so mm -hmm. I found a little rod and hammer slow steels out of California, which is cut with uh, ocean water, Pacific Ocean water. So that's what I'm having. Love it. You got anything good? Well, right now I'm drinking Casamigos Reposado because I just Ooh. love it. But also I was given, let's see, uh, Nue Vueno. I don't know how to say it. I'm saying it totally wrong, but I got it as a Christmas gift. It's also a reposado that I will be trying at some point today. So I like it. <laughs> I like it. See, I never got into the tequila a whole lot, but I think that's because I did it wrong. Mm -hmm. I, you know, Blancos were about all I had. Then I realized reposado is nice and añejo is even better. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> where do you get those actual flavors? For sure. I mean, I did it wrong. Oops, there you go. It's sliding down on my phone. Um, I tried it, obviously, when I was younger, I was an idiot. And, of course, I would drink tequila like a freaking crazy person and be like, this is the, this is the drink to go out and party on. And so I'd be like 21 out in these Houston streets just like – taking shots of Jose Cuervo or whatever the crap was around me and then wake over, wake up the next day and think that I died. But now it's, it's the most perfect sipping drink. I think any type of reposado and ajo. I'm also a massive mezcal drinker. I love mezcal. There's not a whole lot of people I've noticed that really like mezcal. So I'm kind of a tequila snob in that sense, but yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong. So I've had some mezcals. I've, I've got a few on, on the shelf. Uh, they're, they're smokier, so they're different. They're definitely not a tequila. Yeah. Uh, but but de but but they they bring a whole sure. new new set of flavors. People want to put them in the same family, but they don't understand they're very very different. Well, I think I, I read when I was talking to someone. It's like whiskey and bourbon. Mm -hmm. All bourbons are whiskeys. Not all whiskeys are bourbon. Right. Tequila is technically a mezcal. But it's not the no. same. No, no, no. <laughs> it's like close, but no so, cigar. <laughs> so I'm guessing that that's more of your your go to. You're not going to have a whiskey or anything like that for the most part. You're going to stick in the tequila mezcal world. I'm kind of a tequila mezcal world. Yeah, if I'm if I'm recording like one of those country songs that is just like, man, tequila is not going to cut it today. I need a good glass of whiskey. Everyone in my band and on my team are massive whiskey bourbon drinkers. So I always refer to them in terms of, you know, what I should be drinking in those studio settings. But most of the time I'm kind of like, you know, I'll just pour a little glass of mezcal and it's kind of the same smokiness anyway. So let's go with that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I've asked this to some some and some of them are like, no, maybe I'll do it before I go out on stage, you know, warm it up a little bit. 
Um, are you one that has a drink before you go out or is it with you on stage or, or are you trying to stay hydrated? <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Of course, I spend like the full day getting really hydrated um, when I can. If I'm not, you know, pissing every freaking 10 minutes, I try to drink a gallon of water a day if I can. Um, but you know, it really does warm up the voice. So sometimes I'll take like a shot of tequila before I go on stage and the burn of it is like, Oh no, we're in this baby. We're, we're in it and we are ready. And then sometimes I'll bring a, you know, a drink with me on stage, which I never end up drinking anyway. Cause I'm so in the moment. A lot of people will make fun of me, including my band and be like, why do you take a drink on stage if you never drink it anyway? <laughs> but you know, I love cheersing the crowd. I love showing them that we're having a good time and we're all here to enjoy really good music with each other. So even if I take one drink on stage so I can cheers the crowd, I love being able to do that. I was going to say, at some point, you will drink it at some yeah. point, right? <laughs> I'll take it backstage with me after the show. I'll drink it then. Yeah. yeah and like I said, we, we, you know, you're from California originally, then you moved moved into Texas. Uh, what impact did those two places kind of have on you musically, profession, you know, personally and so forth? Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> California and Texas are totally different. You wouldn't know that because there's so many Californians moving to Texas now. They all kind of, it all seems the same. <laughs> but, you know, California and Texas are two completely different states geographically, politically. They're so, so different. It's given me such a beautiful perspective on life in terms of writing music. Um, I feel really blessed and lucky because I feel like I lived in uh, two separate states with two completely different groups of people. So when it comes to songwriting, you know, I feel like my perspective isn't totally skewed in one way or another. I feel like I have a very empathetic, uh, loving, gracious way of writing. Um, I'm a uniter with my music, so I love being able to, like, pull people in from all different types of, you know, all different walks of life and realize that at the end of the day, we're all human. You know, we all you know, enjoy good music. We all enjoy a good drink or two. You know, like, we're all on the same playing field here. I feel like music's a really great um, equalizer in that sense. It kind of shows us that we're all the same. And so, um, you know, obviously both of those states impacted me in the sense that, you know, the culture of it, the LA art scene, the LA music culture, um, you know, I was in Santa Barbara with my, with my family when I was born and in my, you know, younger years. And so a lot of the jazz influence on the West coast was a massive influence on how I write music now. Um, and then obviously Texas has such a kick-ass culture and we have an incredible music scene. You have people coming out of Texas, like Charlie Crockett, Leon Bridges, Gary Clark Jr., uh, Cody Johnson. I mean, that's just to list a few. I mean, we have, we are very pretentious with our, with our music artists in Texas. And I freaking love it. One of my favorite bands of all time is a band called Krungvin. And they actually did a project with Leon Bridges called Texas Sun. And they're one of my favorite bands of all time. I have a freaking tattoo on my arm of a, of a concert I went to see them at and at Red Rocks in a, in a Colorado. So, you know, I, I just feel like the Texas scene is so, we have so much pride in our art and in our music. And I learned how to uh, blend genres like country into soul. And I learned how to blend country into rock and jazz or whatever, because all those people I just listed, you know, Gary Clark Jr. is rock and roll, but he's Southern rock and roll. You know, uh, Leon Bridges is R&B and soul, but it's country and it's and it's Southern. And, and everyone has this beautiful way of combining this beautiful Texas Southern culture into the styles that they grew up on. And I feel like I'm no exemption to that. I feel like you hear that webbed through my music and every single song. So sorry, that's my like 20,000 minute answer to that question. But yeah, that's how those states influenced me. <laughs> well, cause that, well, and that kind of goes, you kind of answered it too. Like you, you have a wide variety though of musical influences, obviously. And, and it's, and as I've talked to folks and one thing I've learned is good music transcends all genres. If it's still a good story to tell, yeah. it doesn't matter how it's shared. It's still going to be good. Yeah, for sure. I agree. <laughs> and then, you know, so, I mean, uh, with, you know, all those different influences, were, were there some that kind of stood out that just always have stuck with you that, 
not that you want to emulate, but just that you kind of looked up to or, or just loved what they did? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all over the board. Um, I was obviously when I was younger, I was way more into jazz than I was into country when I was younger. I got introduced to country a little bit later on. I was probably like six or seven when I was introduced to country music. And, um, you know, when I was really, really young, I loved like Miles Davis, Etta James, Ella Fitzgerald, Aretha Franklin. I, I freaking loved the powerhouse women um, in soul and jazz. And then obviously when I was a little bit older, uh, the country we were listening to in my household were Shania Twain, uh, Alan Jackson, um, older Keith Urban. We listened to a lot of Keith Urban in my household. Um, and then obviously I wasn't, you know, I was young enough to where Chris Stapleton was, he was circulating with his band. He was uh, doing solo stuff. And so I actually did kind of grow up on Chris Stapleton. Um, and that's why it was such a big deal, obviously, when we went on tour with him, because I was like, you know, obviously, I know all of y'all have known him for a long time, but, you know, I I grew up on his shit. <laughs> and I loved it. And it influenced me. It impacted the way I write music. And so to me, he's kind of like a walking legend. It's kind of insane to me that, you know, we have someone like him that we're going to look back on in 50 years and be like, that was a walking legend in country music. I feel the same way about Adele. We're going to say the same thing about her in pop music. Just these people that are still alive that are just making timeless music. So, um, yeah, those are kind of the ones that stuck with me a little bit. <laughs> Well, and, and I was gonna say you got to go on tour with, with with Chris, and and I think I read too where not only is it cool to kind of see how these guys, these folks just do it, you know, to go out on a huge stage on a stadium tour and and rock huge crowds, but like I think you took away also how he finds time to balance personal life and music, and, and how big that can be too. Yeah, for sure. Um... Yeah, Chris, man, he is like such a perfectionist with his music and it's the most amazing, beautiful thing to watch. And I, I get really obsessive about my music being perfect and I get into this, these crazy headspaces where I'm listening to demos like nonstop for weeks on end. And my husband gets mad at me about it. My team gets mad at me about it. I just get so in my own head. But it's cool because I, I see myself and him in terms of how he operates and how he is writing his music, how he's practicing his music. And he's truly a master of his craft. And it takes a lot of dedication and work to get there. And so it's cool seeing that in him because it inspires me to like, oh, wow, I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right things to make sure that I'm you know, hopefully one of the best one day or considered that. But also, you know, it's not all just work. You know, you have to balance life. You have to balance family and friends and your community because, you know, one, it's going to be good for you in the long run and that you're not getting so caught up in the work and that you're getting so caught up in the rat race that you forget who you are as an individual. But then also, like, that's where you get the stories, man. Like, if you're not in relationship with people, if you're not going through the day-to-day -day grind with everybody and you're just so caught up in your own world of music in your own head, how can you write for other people other than yourself, you know? And so I think that's why his music is so relatable and that's why his music reaches so many groups of people. I don't care if you're from, like, Texas or New York, I've, I've met people from Egypt that listen to Chris Stapleton and Dolly Parton. You know what I mean? Like there is a transcending factor to his music. And I think it's because he allows himself to get down on this level with his family and the people that mean the most to him. And it's important, you know? Well, and I was going to say, and from time to time, you kind of share a little bit of, of your family life on, on social media and stuff. And I know that's probably not always fun to do because, <laughs> you know, sometimes we want to be private and be able to, to have that. But how nice is it to, to share those moments out when, when, when the time is right and be able to share things, uh, you know, with your family and the things that you get to do? Yeah, for sure. It, it was cool seeing his family on the road, too, and seeing that dynamic. Um, you know, I, I've been able to take my family out on the road at some times and or at times and um you know we just toured through texas and my brother opened for me he's an also an incredible texas artist kind of in the Le uh, leon bridges category but um it's cool having family out on the road i mean it makes it just that much better <laughs> 
And and when you know, like we we talk about you being you know able to go on on these tours and release you know some great music. When did you know that music was something that you wanted to do as not just a fun hobby or something like that, but that was where life was headed. <laughs> I knew it pretty early on. I knew that music's what I wanted to do when I was four or five. It, it just moved me enough to where I was like, you know, my mom put me in piano when I was four. Um, I started singing at like church. I started singing in children's choir, wh whatever a four-year-old does, you know, <laughs> in terms of like starting music. But you have to put that theory to the test, you know, and so by the time 10 years old rolls around. We're like, all right, is this working out or is it not? Am I good at this? Um, you know, I remember, uh, writing my first one of, one of many songs when I was 10 years old that I tried out for at a talent show and ended up winning the talent show. And I'm like, actually, I think this is maybe in a right direction. You try to scale it as much as you can when you're growing you have a kid. So, you know, I'm sure you're just watching them mm -hmm. constantly like re, reevaluating and renegotiating like what's cool and what's not or what their capabilities are and what isn't, you know? So, um, you know, and then of course, by the time 14 or 15 rolls around, um, you know, my family didn't grow up with much and it ended up, you know, where me and my siblings, I'm the oldest of five, we were having to take up jobs to help like keep the lights on or help with groceries or whatever that looked like. And for me, that looked like at 14 years old, you know, I was playing piano in sports bars and, you know, uh, for weddings and jazz clubs and stuff like that. And so, you know, once I started seeing like, wow, I, I can actually make money doing this. And I, I believe in myself that I'm good enough to maybe go all the way with this, but let's just keep testing out this theory and see if other people feel the same. I don't want to be one of those people that goes on American Idol and everyone's told them their whole life that they can sing well and really, like, they just sound like shit. You know what I mean? Like, I needed to, like, <laughs> test out the theory of, like, hey, I think I sound good. Is everyone else on board with this? Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, I feel like it's just a, a continuing thing. And I wish I could say it was different today. But sometimes I write songs. And I'm like, I think this might be the best freaking song in the whole world. And then other times I write a song and I'm like, I don't think I need to be a musician anymore. <laughs> so, and I think we all do that. It doesn't matter if you're in music or accounting or finance or whatever, like we're all doing that. Well, and, and I've, I love it too, that you, you've basically been writing songs your whole life. Like, I mean, was it, when you think back, is it weird that you're like, even at like 10 years old or younger, I wrote songs because not everyone has that thought process, you know, it's one thing to maybe sing some other, other person's songs, but it's another to write your own thoughts and share what you're seeing in the world. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I don't have many conversations with people that knew exactly what they were going to do at four. You know, a lot of people will be like, I wanted to be a doctor or I wanted to play for the NFL or whatever. And uh, like 98% of the time we don't end up doing what we wanted to do when we were kids. I think the only person I've had a really intense conversation about this was Bobby Bones. And he said he knew from the time he was like a small child that he wanted to be, you know, a radio host. And I mean, that might be the same with you too, but it's just, it's rare when you get to like actually do what you said that you wanted to do when you were a kid. It's freaky. <laughs> <laughs> But it seems to be working out okay. Yeah. I mean, th things seem to be going well. And, you know, what what was it like for you when you got on stage at the uh, CMAs in 2021 for the Love My Hair performance? Because I feel like that kind of supercharged a lot of things for you. It did. It felt amazing. I mean, man, what a, it was such a historic moment. And, uh, you know, I, I went in really nervous, uh, mostly because I'm thinking in the back of my head, selfishly because my ego of course was involved i'm just thinking like man you can't blow this because this is a big moment for your career this is a big moment for your career don't blow this don't blow this but then the reality of what was happening starts setting in and then i start remembering this is one of the very few times in history that this many women of color are being represented on the cma stage we're singing about that representation. I'm singing next to two incredible women that 
you know, are fighting the same battle as me and fighting to be on radio more or fighting to be streamed more or like paid attention to more by labels. And so we're all in the same boat. And it's crazy that once that started setting in, my nerves actually got worse because then I'm realizing, oh, this isn't a moment for me. Like I'm the selfish asshole thinking that this is all about me in the moment, but this is a moment for our community. This is a moment for country music. Um, this is a very, very uh, iconic moment and historic for just everything that we're doing in our country towards equality and and making sure that there is enough opportunity for all of us. And again, equalizing, again, you know, leveling out the playing ground. And once I made it not about me, it was like, no, this is a really big moment and you need to be paying attention to this. It's funny, just artists and their egos in general. It's it's a constant battle every single day of like, you can do this for yourself, but I promise it's more enjoyable if you do this for other people. And so once I just like put that aside and remembered that, it made a much more incredible, beautiful moment for all of us, you know? Well, and then how did it come come about? Because were you shocked when you got the invite for for that? I was. Mickey FaceTimed me and Brittany, and I was freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and then, you know, a few years later, it, you know, kind, kind of almost going, I don't want to say full circle because that's not exactly what it is, but you're on stage at the uh, CMT Music mm-hmm. Awards with Alanis Morissette and a whole bunch of other amazing female artists. I mean, how crazy is that in just a few short years to be kind of on something like that then? It is crazy. I mean, let's keep up with the trends. It's like all these really iconic performances one after another. Like, I would love to keep up with that trend. But, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, I mean, it's only two years after the CMA Awards that this is happening now with this. And, um it's, it's crazy. I mean, you always hope for the best, but you just never know if it's actually going to happen or not. And I feel like after the CMA awards, it, it was such a quick, anyone that's seeing it from an outsider's perspective legitimately thinks that everything that's happened to me was an overnight thing. Um, but then you, you talk to the people that grew up watching me in Texas or you grew up with the people that have been kind of like in my in and out of bands of mine or whatever. And they all know, like, she's been at this for a minute. Like this has been, this has been almost, you know, over 10 years of her putting in the hours and her doing all this. And so, you know, things like the CMA awards and then performing with Alanis on the CMTs, it's, it's further affirmation that, you know, I think I'm in the right place. I think I deserve to be here. Um, I've put in a lot of work and I, I try to stay, you know, as grounded as I can. My team and my family do not allow me to not stay grounded. <laughs> Anytime they see anything get a little bit out of place, it's a, it's a smack alongside the head. But, um, you know, I just feel really grateful. I, I, there's no other word for it other than grateful. I, there's not many people that are allowed chances like this. And I just want to make sure that every single time I get even one chance, whether that's CMAs, CMTs, going on the road with Stapleton, you know, doing my first record, getting signed, whatever. It's like, I'm, I'm not here cause I, I got lucky and something went viral and it happened to me really fast. I want to show you that I've put in the work to be here. Well, and I was going to say, I'm guessing some of that affirmation, knowing that you belong and that you're on the right track, you know, doing the, the Opry, doing your debut and then getting a standing ovation afterwards. I mean, that had to be a, a very cool moment as well, because that's kind of in front of some peers and some, some folks that know good music and to get that had to be an awesome. Feeling. Oh yeah. Um, man, the Opry was the most emotional day of my life. I'm still like processing some of that in therapy to this day. Like it was, so emotional in such a positive way. My mom was there. My family was there. Um, Man, I just love the whole team over at the Opry. I'm close with Jen Tressler, who is, you know, one of the people that brought me on to even play for the first time. And the debut, uh, it's just, it's so special. Like I got to sing Why I'm Calling, which is a song I wrote about my mom. 
and she was there in the crowd and I got to see her and there's so many emotions flowing because you're seeing the history in every single panel in the building. You're seeing the history in every single, you know, brick that's laid in the ground. And then you realize how many people have stood right where you're standing. And so you have that emotion on top of the emotion of your whole family being there to witness what you're about to do. And so, yeah, I mean, I I remember that day in little pieces mostly because it was just super emotional for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I mean, those are awesome opportunities that, that, like you said, not everyone gets the chance. And, and like you said, the journey has been, been kind of a long road. And like you said, I don't think everyone realizes the steps you got to take places you got to play things you got to do to, to get into this crazy industry. And do you ever get that chance to like take a step back and just look back at how far you've come? I do. Um, that's part of the grounding that I, I, man, I got really lucky. I got really, really lucky with the team and the family that I have specifically, because I think they realize what's happening with my music is so special that if I even get a little bit, uh, you know, just off the grid in terms of the purpose of what we're doing, it takes out all the the meaning of, of what we're all doing this for. And so it's really cool having such a cool support system behind me being like, hey, what we're doing is really great. And you need to remember that we're building up a lot of people's lives and we're making a difference. And it's hard to remember that with so much crap in the world going on. I mean, I don't even turn on the news. It just is, it is so depressing, you know? Um, but then, you know, every so often I get those emails or those DMS or whatever from people that are just like, man, you know, my, my husband's battling cancer or, you know, my kid also has Crohn's disease or, you know, whatever. And man, your music really got us through this season. And that means so much to me. And so then I'm able to take a step back and be like, well, remember when you went all through all that too. And that's why you write the music that you do. And so um, I get moments like that from time to time. You know, I just got back off the road from a really long run, about a two month run um, a couple days ago. So now I just, I get like, about three weeks (laughs) of just like chilling and writing and drinking reposado and, you know, getting to really have community again with my family and my friends and remember why I all, why I do all this, you know? Well, and and one of the the things that you were able to do was put out crash landed, which came out in the fall, uh, in November. Can you talk a little bit about that album and and how it came to be and what, how cool it was for you to, you know, be able to put that project out. Yeah. Um, it's my first record ever. I've, I've, uh, you know, attempted and failed at making records several times before I've put out little singles. I've put out EPs. Um, you have chased certain sounds that I thought was it and it wasn't it. Um, and so this is like, I'm not kidding when I say this is like a lifetime worth of work because I mean, you can, date back my catalog and you see all of the jazz influence and you see the pop influence. And, you know, I had collaborations with, you know, different artists and I had collaborations with pop artists and Toby Nwigwe, who is very big in the rap and hip hop community. And it was a lot of me just trying to find myself and none of it felt, all of it felt a uh, genuine, but not like fully there yet. And so crash landed is the first project that I feel like I've put out where I'm like, this is 100% me. And if you don't like it, that's totally okay. Because guess what? We now live in in a generation where you have all of the music accessible to you at any point. So if you don't like me, it's totally fine. But man, this shit is good. And I think it's just, it's a great combination of the rock and the country and and the soul and the jazz. And you hear all of it and it's all genuine. None of it sounds out of place. I feel like all of it is extremely cohesive with each other. And I was worried about combining that many genres into one album because it could come off sounding like I don't know who I am. You know, I, I, I know what it would sound like if it, if it got too far in that direction. But then I have this beautiful guiding light of these artists like Chris Stapleton, like John Mayer, like Nora Jones, who managed to, you know, cross genres like that very successfully and make brilliant records. And so 
as long as I kind of kept aiming for that North star, I knew it was going to be successful, but crash landed is, is one of my life's works that I'm most confident about. Um, those songs on there are just brilliant. We worked with so many incredible songwriters and producers on this record in Texas and in Nashville. Um, the songs on there are just, it's the hero's journey, man. I, I was really inspired by star Wars. I'm a massive star Wars fan. Anything that, you know, replicates the hero's journey or the heroine's journey. I'm, I'm all about that. And so I love that you have these, you know, heroic moments on the record, like crap or like, yeah, crash landed or the wolves or spurs where it's like, man, I'm strong and I'm independent and I'm confident. And this is what I had to get through to get there. And then you have songs like how strong I am and why I'm calling that are tender and have pain and they're beautiful and it's showing this is what I had to do in order to kind of get this strength or this confidence. And so it does tell the hero's story and I, I love it. I think it's, it's beautiful. I, I love being an author. I love telling stories and I feel like this record does that and I couldn't be any more proud of it. I, I can't tell that you enjoyed every minute of it. Either. <laughs> I mean, you could just hear it. I mean, you could just hear it though. But I mean, that's that's something when you know it. it it's a yeah. passion of of yours, and it was a passion project that you were able to put yeah. out. And I also loved one of the details that you are so intentional that you wanted a very sp specific order for each song too, yeah. just to, so it kind of built and told that I story. I did. I did. That was picking the order of songs for the record is almost just as important as picking the songs themselves. I don't know if people still believe that or listen to records cover to cover, but I do. And I think that's just as important. And, and I also love too, that one of the, the songs that I think a lot of people probably have heard by now is, um, mama Dolly and Jesus, mama Dolly, Jesus, but you almost didn't put Dolly in the song, right? Did you almost do another female yeah, artist who that you told love? you that? <laughs> <laughs> I have my ways. I have my ways. <laughs> oh, man. Were you in London? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so we almost put Shania, um, mostly because Dolly Parton and God bless both of those women. I love those women. They have inspired me to my core. Um, Dolly Parton is such uh, an incredible artist and writer and just everything that everyone emulates Dolly in some way, whether it's putting her in a song or doing a collaboration with her or putting her on a freaking t-shirt. It doesn't matter. And so I was really afraid that if we ended up using Dolly in the song, that it would have been, you know, just kind of oversaturating something that people already do because Dolly is that great that she has been done over and over again. And so we did kind of toy with the idea. It, the writers on the song are me, Laura Veltz, Jesse Joe Dillon, and Jimmy Robbins. And we did talk about the idea of putting Shania in the song, which fits just as well. And she is just as big of an influence of mine, if not even bigger. And so it would make sense to do mama Shania and Jesus, so it still kind of rings the same even, but when we were talking about the real meaning of the song and just kind of, you know, Shania is a few years behind Dolly, and uh, Dolly has really secured this untouchable, um, almost immortal saint status in our society, and so it kind of almost made more sense for the storyline to put Dolly than Shania, but we almost did Shania instead. <laughs> I mean, it's a great song. I mean, you you've got some amazing uh, songs on that 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 album, and 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 it's it's so fun to listen to it. And you know, when you when you're getting out there to to perform some of those songs, whether it's from that album or, or other songs, is there one that you just love more than others? Not that you're supposed to have mm -hmm. like a favorite child, but I mean, I feel like everyone yeah. kind of does. <laughs> is there just one song that you love to perform on stage? Yeah, I can I cheat? Can I give you at least two? Okay. <laughs> I get, yeah, we'll go with two. We'll go with two. <laughs> um, okay, so Hold My Horses goes so freaking hard. Hold My Horses is one of those songs where, you know, especially if we're at a festival or we're opening with other people on the bill or whatever, 
whether I play it solo or acoustic or full band, doesn't matter. I look side stage and there are tons of other artists and musicians watching because they're like, holy shit, this is amazing. Who is this girl? Or we already know who she is and we just wanted to hear the song. It goes so hard and it has no business going as hard as it does, but it does. Um, we usually open the show with Hold My Horses, and so it kind of sets the tone from the beginning that we're here, we mean business, this is what we're doing, let's go. Um, also, The Wolves, man, mm. that song has been such a dark horse on my record. It's one that I, I didn't know was going to perform as well as it has and I'm so grateful that it did because I always was a believer in that song, but it has almost outperformed all of the other songs on the record. And it is amazing. I love seeing people, you know, freaking, oh my gosh, who just, one of the basketball players for the Miami, he just posted about it this morning. Um, and it's just, it's crazy how much that song inspires people. I see people you know, putting that song behind their workout videos or behind, you know, them, you know, cooking in their kitchen or whatever. And it's just amazing that so many people feel inspired by that song. And it's such a simple message, which is why I was, I didn't know it was going to do as well as it did, but it really has resonated with so many listeners. And I love playing that live. It's one that I love playing. If I'm able to love it, playing it acoustic or solo and playing it with a band. That's how I kind of determine what my favorite songs are to play live. Well, I was going to say the, the wolves is, has been on one of my playlists for, I, I can't remember how long. Um, so no, I, I, I get that one. And, and you co-wrote every song on, on the album. Was that just something that you've just always done? And, and what's that like to be a co-writer and work with other folks? Yes, it's I, something I've always done. Um, I mean, you know this. I, I've written since I was five years old. Um, but it's amazing. I love putting... A, I'm, I'm not one of those artists where, like, you can just come into a room and pitch me a song. Like, I have to have a, a piece of myself. Unless it's one of those songs where it's just, like, a once-in-a-century type song. Most of the time, I love being a co-creator on it. Um, I'm really hoping with this next record, um, with album two, to potentially be a co-producer on it. Like, I'm a, I'm a born writer. I'm a storyteller at the end of the day. And if it's not writing stories through music, you know, I love writing novels. Like, I, I love writing books and, you know, sci-fi fiction and whatever. So, I mean, it's so much embedded into who I am that it would be very hard for me to not have a hand on writing or producing the record to any extent. So you're, you're a creator, no, no matter yes. how you look at it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And and you touched on this too, when, when you're talking about, you know, going on stage and opening and kind of kicking things off with hold my horses. I know you're kind of hitting about to hit festival season. I know where I'm based out of in Lexington, Kentucky, you'll be at the rail bird in June. And then you kind of hit a whole bunch. What, what's it like doing a festival versus like going on tour and, and stuff? How, how different can that kind of be? Um, the festival season. So this will technically be kind of my first official festival season. Um, I'm still slightly new to touring. I mean, I know that I, I did a bunch of the Texas circuits. I played so many Texas venues, um, growing up, but I never really expanded outside of Texas other than like new Orleans or somewhere really close. And so Chris Stapleton was my first official tour. I had never been on tour until Chris Stapleton. And so even now in this new year, um, even though we feel like we're more primed to this because we have a record out and everything. I'm really not. And this is really actually even my first festival season. And so it's different in the sense of sometimes they're fly dates and not necessarily touring on a bus with Chris. We had, you know, the ability to tour around on a tour bus. Um, this year, you know, we're doing a lot more fly dates. We kind of use a bus here and there where we can. We had some West Coast dates when we were doing Stagecoach and we were opening for El King and 49 Winchester. And so we had the ability to kind of use a bus on those dates. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of a lot more grab and go. It's kind of more plug and play. You know, it's you get a maybe a 25 minute set. 
um, you know, you sometimes will just plug into the amps and just, okay, here we go. We're off to the races, um, which is not bad because, you know, again, I'm really lucky with the band and the team that I have. Um, the bands that I have are incredible musicians, probably some of the best players out of Nashville. And we're jiving so much as a team and as a family that we don't play to tracks. And um, sometimes, you know, I dabble with the idea of us even not playing to click. And so it's really cool. It's very old fashioned. It's much more in the Stapleton, Marcus King, Ella, uh, or not Ella, sorry, um, L King vibe. And so, um, you know, we're able to kind of go up there with nothing and go and play a really good set because, you know, we're musicians at the end of the day. And so we don't really need all the bells and whistles in order to play a really, really freaking good set. And so it's kind of challenging in some ways with the plug and play, but also it's not because it's really cool to be able to go out there and do something different than some of the other sets or some of the other artists and be like, we don't need all the, all the shit to make this a good set. Y'all are going to enjoy this set anyway. So. Well, and then too, you can feel, feel what the crowds don't go on. And if you need to maybe switch things up, you, you, you've got the ability cause you, you've got a group that sure. just go yeah. on the fly. And then I guess for, for my last question is obviously, you know, we're about halfway through 2023. What's, what are you hoping for the rest of the year and and when can when maybe some new music maybe coming our way that you can tell me and yeah. I'll get yourself in trouble I don't want you to get yourself in yeah, trouble yeah. <laughs> I know how this right, works right, I don't right. want to get you no, in getting trouble. hand slapped today um yeah so I mean playing these festivals um I have a few more headlining shows coming up I'm going back to the UK um, playing a headlining show in London, which is amazing. I cannot believe I'm even saying that right now. It's wild. Um, have a headlining show in Atlanta. Um, and then just playing the crap out of this record. I still believe in it. Um, it's it's such a great project and it performs so well live. Um, but, you know, in full transparency, I, I am, you know, I have two feet in right now. I'm, I'm one foot completely in crash landed and promoting the crap out of this record and touring it and doing all of that. But also, you know, my head is also in record two. And so every single time I come back home off the road, I'm writing towards record two. I'm writing towards singles, maybe doing some collabs with other artists, who knows. Um, and so it's, it's a great balance right now. Honestly, it feels amazing being on the road and being fully immersed in the crash landed record, but then coming home and taking a break from that record and being fully immersed in album two so that, you know, each I come back to and I'm very fresh. So then when I go back out on the road, it's, it's easy to be immersed in crash landed because I just had a whole three weeks at home writing for the new record. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to have, you know, either a single out or even, you know, some Christmas music that's kind of alluding to what the sound will be for the new record. And we're working on some of that right now. So I don't know. It's, it's going to be a really cool year of just doing, having a hand in both, honestly. And, and having fun and, and creating and, and uh, folks, if you haven't, I highly recommend the crash landed album it's it's so worth it and if you get to see her out at one of the festivals you will be i think truly just it'll be a great time <laughs> i don't oh, know how else to put it and 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 i appreciate you sharing a drink with me sharing some <laughs> stories with me and uh I cheers appreciate well thank you so much for having me and having a drink with me and asking me a bunch of questions about myself and listening to me ramble so thank you find more from hops and spirits at hopspirits.com Thanks, everybody. Bye.